CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Busy here at Mighty FM for Christmas and Christmas programming and everything winding down, but it's good to take an hour or so to talk football. Absolutely. Uh... We don't get, you know, the weekend of uh, sitting back, relaxing, and watching football anymore in terms of the CFL as the season wrapped up with the Toronto Argonauts claiming the Grey Cup. Uh, not this Sunday that just happened, but the one before that uh, to wrap up the 2017 CFL season. And uh, that's exactly what we're here to do. You know, last week we kind of recapped the Grey Cup and talked a lot about that game between the, the Argonauts and the Stampeders. And we haven't exactly gotten around to reviewing the season as a whole here, so that's kind of the goal here today. Um, and how we're going to do it is we're going to kind of go through the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the surprising, and the not-so-surprising of the 2017 CFL season. I feel like that's that gives us a good range of kind of covering everything, does it not? It does, and, you know, it's a interesting... Time because I mean, we sit here eight days after the great cop, and I still can't believe what happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm still trying to process it as well. And uh, I have a feeling that will come up at some point in uh, the surprising or maybe even the not so surprising. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, the week after the great cup is generally a busy one in terms of CFL action and transactions. Um, specifically at the coaching level, because, you know, you can't really go and talk to another team's coaches until the off season, until uh, there's kind of a freeze until after the Grey Cup there. And then things normally happen. So kind of go through what's happened in the CFL over the last week since the Grey Cup was claimed. Earlier today, Mike, on Monday, the, uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks announcing that Noel Thorpe is being brought in as their defensive coordinator next year. Uh, a guy we all wanted here in Winnipeg, obviously. Ottawa brings him in. What does this mean for the Ottawa Red Blacks? Well, I mean, Ottawa does what Ottawa's supposed to do, and Ottawa's done what a lot of teams are supposed to do. There's a guy out there you want, you go out and get him. What what is what was it that uh, was? Do you think Ottawa was just the first one to go out and reach out to him, or was? What is it about the Red Blacks' defense that uh, that attracted Noel Thorpe? I, I think it was an opportunity to try to. I I think for me there was a op or for him I should say, but the way I see this is, he doesn't know exactly what other, you know, coordinator jobs are going to be open, so he doesn't want to be stuck with nothing for not sure. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And that's the chat. And the chance to go back into Montreal as a fellow member of the Eastern Conf- uh, Eastern Division, that's fairly enticing as well. That's an interesting way to put it. I agree with you. Props to the Red Blacks on this because they really did 
you know, they saw a need in their team that uh, and they went out and got it before anyone else did. You knew you had to think he was going to be a highly sought after guy uh, around the CFL because he did, you know, he was that backbone arguably of the Montreal Alouettes for the last couple of years there. It's been their defense and he was the one who led that. Uh, he's going to do great things for the Red Blacks this year. Uh, replacing Mark Nelson as the defensive coordinator. Now, Nelson is still going to be with the organization, uh, just in a bit of a different role. Yeah, but it's interesting that, you know, that came up, to be honest with you, because I, I couldn't remember... Um, I couldn't remember if Otto had, in fact, fired their defensive coordinator. I know they had fired a couple of defensive coaches... Um, as a scapegoat, I'm supposing, uh, last week or the week after, whenever they made those moves, I think it was last week. But this, to me, is being proactive. The guy out there that they wanted was clearly Forbes, so they went out and got him. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the releasing of the other coaches. Four coaches released within the last week by the Ottawa Red Blacks. I know Brian Chu was among them. Um, Ike Charlton was one of them. What do you make of the the Red Blacks almost clearing house at the coaching position at, at a couple coaching positions here? After I mean, the, their fourth year in the league, they they don't go on to win the Grey Cup, but I mean they won it the year before. They made it to the Grey Cup the year before that. Does this make sense to you? And why do you think you know? a season that fell just short causes so many heads to roll in Ottawa. I think they had expectation to be in the Grey Cup, and I believe those expectations weren't met, and when expectations aren't met, there's consequences. Fair enough. And, and you're not going to fire your defensive coordinator. You're not going to fire Rick Campbell. You're not going to fire Marcel Desjardins. So who's next, right? Right. Yeah, that may very well be a case, like you said, of scapegoats and just trying to get a different look there. And maybe, you know, like we said, a couple of these guys were defensive guys. Maybe they had this plan all along and knew they were going to end up getting Noel Thorpe. And, you know, they want him to be able to build his defense the way he wants to. Yeah, I don't know, Ryan. I'm not sure too much about how the hiring process goes. But I would be shocked if they had prior conversations or prior knowledge of Noel Thorpe wanting to come to Ottawa before making those moves. I, I really believe that the coaching changes that were made were made of not great surprise. Because those were the areas that I thought Ottawa lost on defense last year and they clearly thought they could get a coaching upgrade, I suppose. Right. More news from the Ottawa Red Blacks as well. Busy, busy week for them. Uh, Brad Sinopoli back for two two more years with the Red Blacks. What do you make of that deal? Uh, this, to me, comes as absolutely no surprise. Uh, it, it was hard to envision Sinopoli and Ottawa die not in Ottawa considering what he's done for the team and how highly regarded he is. Yeah, I, I I was thinking the same thing. Not a surprise to see him back. Great to see him back in Ottawa for two more years. 
Uh, also, two more guys back with the Ottawa Red Blacks, J.P. Bolduc and Brendan Jolanders, uh, re-signed by the Red Blacks. So the Red Blacks making a lot of moves early on in, in what's officially now kind of the offseason, um, and maybe we'll see. This is a team that is known to be aggressive come free agency, and maybe we'll see that uh, in February that you know they're locking up their own assets now. Uh, and figuring that all out, and then have a plan going forward, and we'll see how active they are come February. My question is, and I don't want to play devil's advocate for Ottawa, and I don't think this is what's going to happen, but how can you go on signing all of these players until you know what Trevor Harris is going to demand? That's a good question. Just from a, just, just from a salary cap perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's an that's an interesting one. I didn't think about that. Um, you have to think they're in talks already with Trevor Harris. You know they're going to push to bring him back this year. Uh, the, I mean, they haven't signed too many. Like like I said, it was just you know Brad Sinopoli. Oh. That's the big one. Bolduke and Jolanders, and then you've got your coaching staff there that we were talking about. But the. No question about it in my mind. They're going to have a bunch of money set aside for Trevor Harris, however much they need to pay him to keep him there in Ottawa. Yeah, how much of this is... If you're Trevor Harris, do you look elsewhere? I don't think so. I don't see why. Well, just from a standpoint of you want to know what's out there, you don't become a free agent every year, right? No, but you have a starting job on a team that's been to the Grey Cup in you know, half of, half of its seasons it's been in existence and won it once. It's, it's a very interesting prospect. Moving on to the uh, some other big news on the coaching standpoint. First of all, out of Hamilton, June Jones will be back next year for the Ticats and actually for the next three years signing a three-year deal with Hamilton. Mike, I love this move from the Ticats. I mean, tale of two seasons for Hamilton from before he took over the job. Terrible start to the year. And since then, I would argue in the second half of the season, they were one of the most fun football teams to watch in the CFL. So I love this move bringing back June Jones. Uh, And why not? I mean, I'm just wondering, are there too many crooks in the kitchen in Hamilton? How so? Ah, just with, you know, the whole dynamic of Ken Austin being the former coach and June Jones now, and I just have to wonder, much like another situation, but I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes, but... Yep, that one's next. Um, I I just, I, I really wonder, like, I'm surprised that, you know, there was a lot of player accounts and articles and stuff written that players necessarily weren't on the greatest terms to be fair with with Ken Austin. And now they hired June Jones as a as the coach, which I believe they should, and he was their best option and really saved their season. They almost Ryan, they almost made the playoffs. Had the had the coaches firing happened two weeks earlier, I believe Hamilton would have been in the playoffs. And I think if they were in the playoffs, we there was a solid chance in my mind we could have seen the Hamilton Tiger Cats end up as Grey Cup champions. Here's the thing for June Jones, though, and I don't know how big of a decision this is going to be. 
He has to decide who his quarterback is. Zach Kalaros or Jeremiah Mazzoli. I know what I would choose. Um, me too, but... I mean, just based on play in the second half of the season, Jeremiah Mazzoli played great. Yeah, but it's like trial by fire, right? And it's not even just the coach, but your, your, your first big decision is who's your quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I think, you know, why not stick with what worked down the stretch coming into next year? If they can take how they finished off the season and start off the year like that next year, and I know it's hard when you have so many months off in between, but uh, th- those two get those guys were two big pieces, June Jones and Jeremiah Mazzoli, for the turnaround for the Ticats this year. I think this is uh, this is an absolutely great decision for the Ticats, and I'm not surprised to see it because it only made sense to me. Again, Mazzoli versus Kalaros. Me thinks Kalaros ends up in Toronto. Interesting. BC also making changes at the uh, coaching and well, nope, sticking at the coaching position as Wally Buono is coming back for one more year as head coach. But Mike, he will not be the general manager this coming year for the BC Lions as they've hired Ed Hervey, former Edmonton Eskimos general manager, uh, to be GM for the BC Lions next year with Wally staying on the sideline. This, to me, it seems to be an interesting dynamic, does it not? Yeah, and the way the food chain it was explained to me by somebody that lives and is familiar with the BC Lions, food chain is as follows. Wally Bono is the, the VP of football operations. Ed Hervey is the general manager. And Wally Bono is the coach. It's almost like a Hervey sandwich on Buono. So it's like, <laughs> my, my question is, who's in charge of who? Yeah, it's, it's kind of circular. Wally's in charge of uh, Ed Hervey, and then as general manager, he's technically in charge of the coach. And then uh, <laughs> it's very weird to me because we've had... You know, we've had our stints of Wally on the sideline, Wally as general manager, Wally as both. But have we had him just on the sideline with someone else as his general manager in recent history? Maybe when he was with Calgary, but I can't recall with BC. So what do you make of this decision? Because obviously he's the one who made this decision to bring Ed Hervey in. What was it about wanting to step away from the general manager aspect and bring a guy like this in? I think they wanted to work on a succession plan. And on the flip side, Wally said things didn't go too well last year. I don't want to go out like this. So that's why you think he's coming back still to coach, but he's working on that succession plan and seeing a guy he knows because... Ed Hervey did a great job of building those Edmonton Eskimos for that Grey Cup run in 2015. And obviously, before he was let go this year by the Eskimos, a lot of the pieces they had in place for that 7-0 start to the season this year in Edmonton and going on to play in that West Final, a lot of those pieces were put in place by Ed Hervey before he was let go by the Eskimos. So I think it's a great pickup for the Lions. I'm interested to see uh, you know, if he decides to shake things up there after this season after the season they had because it was a disappointment or if they view it as okay you know growing pains type of season we'll stick with what we got and bounce back next year 
I have a real question of what happens if the Lions get off to a bad start. How so? Well, you know, things don't go well. They're one and five or two and four and not playing well. And you're basically saying you're opening the door if Ed Hervey is the general manager to fire Wally Buono as the coach. But wait a minute, he's also the VP of football <laughs> operations. So yeah, I, I, I don't think he'd uh, I don't think he'd sign off on firing himself. Well, you never know. Kent Austin did, technically. It's just a very weird game of. Oh, I don't know what you would call it. I have no idea. Cat and mouse charades. That's what I was thinking. I like charades. Charades is a fun game. <laughs> but but <laughs> I, I just like that's a real dynamic. Um that is interesting to watch. I think it will be good for the Lions. I, I like the addition of Ed Hervey because Wally said this is his last year on the sideline, which to me, he gives up the general manager spot. He's giving it up on the sidelines after this year. I guess it remains to be seen, you know, as kind of the overall head uh, as VP, like you said, if he sticks around just for that role afterwards, or if, you know, 2018 is Wally Bono's swan song. I like the idea of bringing, you know, looking at that realistically and not wanting to go out doing everything in his last year, but to put that succession plan in place, like you said, to have Ed Hervey come in. I like that. Here's another thing to consider. Ed Hervey was fired in Edmonton, reportedly with the media access and all that other kind of stuff. How does that have effect, any effect? I'm sorry, how did that have an effect, if any, given the fact that the BC Lions are kind of starved for media attention? They needed to get people in the building. And if Ed Hervey is doing what he did in Edmonton in BC, as far as the way he handled the media reportedly, I can't see that going over well. I don't know if it's a major issue that's even worth talking about, to be honest, though, because I feel like, you know, you, you have to learn from your mistakes. Like, it, Ed Hervey has to know why he was fired. We might not. I uh, know the real reason, but I feel like you have to have a decent understanding of why. And, you know, he's given another chance here with the BC Lions. He's going to learn from those mistakes, I think, whatever they were. Yeah, I, I just think the whole thing is very interesting. Me too. A um, couple more news and notes from this past week here out of Winnipeg, Mike. The Bombers starting to lock up pieces for next year again. There was a lot of talk, uh, or a bit of talk, I should say. Uh, what would happen with Justin Medlock? Would he? Uh, I think there was talk he might try to go to the NFL. There was talk he might try to go to a different team. He might try to. He might just hang up the cleats outright and retire and move on with his life. But he agrees to come back for one more year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Great move. Do you agree? Um. Yeah. It's a very interesting. We're talking about Medlock, right? Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure I interviewed myself with Tim Flanders today. I have different thoughts on that. Um, 
I am really surprised, to be quite honest with you, to see Justin Medloff back and sign as quick as he did. How so? What I heard in the exit interviews was he wasn't sure if he was planning on coming back. It's almost like he didn't have the the excitement and the passion to want to put himself through the grind again. Now, to be fair, Justin Medlock is known as a quieter guy who doesn't really give you too much emotions in the interviews he does do. Yeah, I, I, I'm just wondering how this came about. Now, there's, there's this re- report out there, and I don't know if you've read the story, where, you know, Michael Shane, Justin Medlock had a talk about, you know, Medlock's future with the Bombers and how the Bombers wanted the bat and how that was helpful. I'm just a little bit curious that uh, maybe, 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 like you say, it's Medlock's. Uh, maybe it is Medlock's, you know, personality to do that. But it's just very interesting. And don't get me wrong; I'm very happy to have him back. I'm just shocked that happened this quick. And the other one, you said you had different thoughts on Timothy Flanders re-signed for one year here in Winnipeg. Uh, good thoughts or bad thoughts about this one? No, I, I like it. I mean, I'd like to see... I just want to know, did Tim Flanders sign on to be a running back or a slot back? Interesting. I don't think he can do both, and I don't think he should do both. Maybe he can play defensive back while he's at it, too. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean... <laughs> but this is the great signing by the Blue Bombers and an integral piece behind Andrew Harris. Oh, I love it. Flanders was... Arguably one of the Bombers' best players on offense this season for back for a guy who started the year as a backup running back, basically. Uh, and he still was to an extent, but he started to get a lot of touches down the stretch. I liked it a lot because when both of them were in the game and both of them were being utilized, I'm talking about Harris and Flanders, it made the Bombers' offense that much more dynamic and that much more difficult to predict and stop. Yeah, it's interesting because... You know, now Paul Apolis, early in the offseason, has a very big toy bat that he can kind of play with. And he doesn't have to spend the winter worrying if, you know, Tim Flanders is going to be back. He can kind of get to work on how Paul decides to use Timothy Flanders, Andrew Harris, among others. And you know, it, it's an early Christmas present for Paul Apolis. You know, he opened, he saw that, and you know he was getting a little giddy at uh, the plays he can uh, draw up with, with using those two guys. Yeah, and it, it's very, very interesting because, you know, it doesn't go back to, um, like, this goes back to something else, too, and something that I don't think we've seen in Winnipeg just to kind of, Pull this conversation away from Timothy Flanders for a minute. I can't recall this many bomber pending free agents signing this soon after the playoffs in recent memory. We had a couple offensive linemen re-sign as well, correct? Right. Patty Newfeld and... Jamarcus Hardrick, I believe. Jamarcus Hardrick, that was the other guy. Um, but to me... That's a great thing to see, and I think that speaks volume to Michael Shea. Absolutely. I think it speaks volume to the the culture that's been built over the last two years around this team, 
the winning culture, although they haven't gone on to win the Grey Cup. Things have changed over the last two years from what they used to be here in Winnipeg, and it's becoming a place that people want to play. And as Winnipeggers, we love to see that. And, and here's another uh, interesting thing here, Ryan. I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think reading between the lines on who has been signed and who hasn't been signed and a length of contract and all that kind of stuff, I think Travis Bond's time with the Blue Bombers has come to an end. How so? You know, they re-signed uh, Patty Newfoss. He's a Canadian offensive lineman. Leads me to believe that they're starting, but they're going to give Patty a chance to have a starter, to be a starter, and then they can kind of, you know, move things around later on, like further on in the offense, or even add another American on defense somewhere. Because you got to remember, they got quite a pipe of upcoming offensive linemen. Right. From the last last couple of drafts. So I'm just wondering if they're saying, you know what? Travis Bond has kind of priced himself out of Winnipeg. Not saying this is the case, but I have any inside information. And they said, okay, we have a certain amount that we can budget for our offensive linemen. The rest of the money has to be spread around elsewhere. They probably looked at this and said, and I have no idea the financial ramifications of everything and where the bombers are on the salary cap. Keep this in mind as I'm saying this. They probably looked at this and said, are we better off signing one offensive lineman for the price or the budget that we have on the offensive lineman? Or do we say, you know, we cut our losses with one offensive lineman, get both Hardwick and Patty Newford, who's a Canadian, for the price of what it would take to lock up, say, a Travis Bond. And I'm not saying that, you know, that is the case. It just leads me to believe if that is what has happened here. Right. Um, one more uh, one more thing from this week uh, in the CFL news and transactions. Uh, defensive back Jonathan Mincy, uh, given an early release by the Montreal Alouettes to pursue NFL dreams. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing that with a decent number of players over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and I, I I was looking at, I think the Edmonton Eskimos have something like 24 free agents and stuff. A couple of them are going to test the NFL. Right. But it's just ridiculous. In a league where the norm seems to be one-year contracts, one-year contracts, one-year contracts, at the amount of changeover. Also, don't forget, Ryan, and Justin Medlock alluded to, to this in the conference call with the media upon signing his contract. He said he would have signed a longer-term deal, but he wasn't sure what the CBA would look like. Mm, interesting. Remember, that that expires at the end of next year. Right. And hopefully, so it, hopefully a new it, deal comes quickly because... Uh, and, and, you know, we don't uh, have what the NHL had with a lockout because, uh, you know, we're, we're going on through the off season here, Mike, with this podcast for the first time. And uh, we'll have to find a way to muster up content throughout the entire winter. Imagine if we missed an entire season. I, I don't think it'll get that far. Um, at least I sure hope not. But some of the dialogue that I'm hearing... On uh, some of the issues that the players have, I don't know, man. 
Let's get into talking about the 2017 CFL season, wrapping it up, reviewing it. Like I said, good, bad, ugly, surprising, not so surprising. Let's start off on a good note. CFL season of 2017, what was something good in your eyes that you saw from a team, from the league as a whole? What can you consider good out of 2017 in the CFL? Um, The Winnipeg Blue Bombers and how they continued their resurgence. Yeah. Uh, they were 11-7, and seven and now they finished 12-6. and six. And, arguably a better team this year than last, so... And kind of that, showing that it wasn't just a one-time deal, that the way the team has been built here in Winnipeg over the last couple of years is, was not just kind of that one fluke season last year. That 2017 kind of showed, yeah, this is a team that coming into 2018, I think the expectations are going to continue to be high. And another expectation or another thing that I noticed... Don't sell a team short, despite not having a coach at free agency and a general manager at free agency. The Toronto Argonauts, uh, yeah, I, I throw that into the surprising category because yeah. the the good the good slash surprising combo meal, if you will, um, because we didn't like we've said many times over the last couple of weeks as we were following them through the playoffs and recapping the Great Cup for that they won. We didn't expect Toronto this year to go out and be good. We expected them to be bottom in the league, and they showed us wrong. So I agree with you. That's definitely something that, you know, the CFL as a whole and 2017 definitely showed this is a league where you have to expect the unexpected. And that is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and I, I'm i fully expecting the Bombers to take another step. If they can repair that defense, I really believe the Bombers will be looking at first place in the West next year. Another thing in the good department, I have to say, the emergence, I think uh, we had some great Canadian talent emerge in the CFL this year. Especially we got to see some Canadian talent at the quarterback and the bridge playing a prominent role for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this year. Andrew Buckley for Calgary got his first career start this year. We had a game where both were in the lineup at the same time. You know, it's the Canadian Football League. How can you not root for the Canadian kids? Uh, and I think it's great to see more and more of them getting involved in the CFL. Sorry, what was your last comment you cut out there briefly? Oh, just talking about how great the uh, the the rise of the Canadian talent in the CFL, and including I just specifically mentioned the quarterback position there, was a great thing. Yeah, yeah Brandon Bridge and Andrew Butley. Granted, we didn't see much of Butley, but you know, and what we did see was a mop up duty and a spot start in week twenty. I liked what I saw from Brandon Bridge. Me too. Uh, and, and just. Ryan, let's let's why why you bring that up? Let's talk about the emergence of young stars across the board, Canadian American. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Roy Finch has been around a couple years. Uh, Posey for Toronto, James Wilder. Oh boy, some other you know the lights of. I mean, Brandon Zilstra, who had, I think, like 
2,200 yards in his first 22 games of his career or something ridiculous like that. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you just look at receiving yards, you look at the top 10 guys here. Uh, okay, there's some familiar faces. You've got your Zil uh, but you got Zilstra. Uh, throw this also in the good category. Comeback year for SJ Green. Um, was phenomenal to see. He finishes second in the league in receiving yards. You've got Greg Ellingson, Brian Burnham, Manny Arsenault are all up there. Uh, those are kind of guys you expect, Luke Tasker. You've got Jalen Saunders finished fifth in the league in receiving yards. B.J. Cunningham, number eight. Uh, Darvin Adams at number nine. These are some guys that, like you said, you know, there are some good stars emerging in the CFL, uh, some young guys, and I love to see it because these are the guys you can build a franchise around, assuming they don't go off to the NFL. Yeah, and the interesting thing to watch is Bo Levi Mitchell to the NFL after next year. Do you think that's a realistic possibility? Uh, I don't say why it isn't. And, and Bo would be crazy enough to pursue that. Kind of off topic a little here. Can I ask you something? Hmm? The So there's rumors out there that James Franklin could possibly be getting NFL interest and pursuing a, a time in the NFL. What do you make of this? Because this is a guy who's barely played in the CFL. There's a lot of hype around him in the CFL. This is a guy that, you know, he's going to be coveted in free agency and yet possibly getting looks down in the NFL. Well, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. If Dan Lefebvre did a <laughs> shot in the NFL but not been playing very little in the CFL, why can't Bowley by Mitchell, who's a prominent starter, best quarterback in the league in the last you know, three years or two years or however long he's been a full-time starter. And if you're a bull, even if you don't make it in the NFL, the money you get by going to camp and going to even just the preseason game, far away is what he would make in one year in the CFL. Yeah, but specifically, I, I agree. First of all, I agree with you on all that. But the rumors of James Franklin to the C to the NFL, you kind of addressed it a little there. Well, if Dan Lefevre can get a look, do you think Franklin would have any sort of shot at all in making it to the NFL, or is this just kind of fluffy rumors, if you will? I believe there's some legitimacy behind James Franklin getting an NFL shot, but. My question to NFL play NFL scouts and general managers are: the guy barely played the last couple of years, right? Right. Why are you convinced that he's an NFL quarterback if you haven't seen him for a sustained period in the CFL? I agree with you. That's that's the question that when I when I heard this kind of blew my mind a little bit. And, and I believe that James Franklin will give the NFL a shot. Maybe he'd be better off going to the NFL giving the NFL a shot if there's no legitimate starting job anywhere. Oh, he's going to get a starting job in the CFL. There's no question about it in my mind. He's going to be the most sought-after free agent to see 
free agent come February if he hasn't already been, his rights haven't already been dealt to a team by then. Yeah, well, trying to acquire his rights when a player is bluffing or suggesting that the path to the NFL is a scary is a scary proposition. True. And if, if I'm the Edmonton Eskimos, I'm the least bit impressed right now. How so? I'm not. I'm not the least bit impressed. Because I think you're looking for an opportunity to shop his rights. But him basically coming out and suggesting that he might go to the NFL just diminished the assets with the Eskimos in debt to try to trade his rights. But the power to him. I mean, he has that choice. And so, I, I, yes, you can be disappointed if you're the Eskimos in that. But uh, I don't think you can take that away from him. This is a guy with, an, you know... Most CFL players grow up with that or come through this league with the dream of one day getting to the NFL. So I, I don't think you can knock a guy for uh, or expect any less of a guy that if he thinks he has a shot to go and pursue that dream. So can I explain? So can I ask just a general question for for discussion purposes? Sure. Why are people so high on James Franklin? When they've seen so little of him, and what makes you think he didn't succeed outside of Edmonton, when Edmonton has a lot of the pieces around him that make him successful, and now you're going to ask him to come in as a starter, he doesn't necessarily have the talent around him that they have in Edmonton, no offense to his team, but seeking the starting quarterback as a building block. Pretty sure you can guess who I'm talking about. The uh, the Montreal Alouettes, right? Yeah. So why? Like, I I just don't understand. Like the guy barely played in the CFL. He, I don't think he's even played 18 games in the CFL, which equates to one CFL season of playing experience. What makes you think that he's, you know, the most sought after free agent as general manager? Like. Am I missing something? Well, I, I think what it is, honestly, is that we have a nine-team league in the CFL, and you have, you know, it's not like a 32-team league. Is it 32 in the NFL, or is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. I'm not a huge NFL nut, I'll admit that, um, if people didn't know that already. Um, you have these. You have nine teams in the CFL, and every single one is trying to get the jump on the other because you play each other a lot of times in the CFL with a nine-team league. And I certainly want to wouldn't want to go up against this guy if he turns out to becoming a star. You know, it's one of those things where I think general managers are trying to get the jump on other teams, and they see this guy that has the potential, and they think, you know. This is the guy I want. If he turns out well, I can build my team around him. You also have to remember, unlike most sports leagues, the CFL doesn't have guaranteed contracts, Mike, in terms of players. So you go out you try, go out and pay big bucks for this guy and he doesn't pan out, you're not stuck around with him for years after years. You can cut him. Here's another question completely related to quarterback, not James Franklin. Darian Durant to Winnipeg. What about that? As a backup. No. I never thought of that. I don't know. I don't know what I'm to hearing, think about that. I, I'm, I'm hearing noise, but that is a possibility. I don't know what to think about that one, to be honest. 
Just throwing it out there. Yeah, and uh, and kind of getting back onto onto on track here with uh, talking about the good in the CFL this year. I think the just bounce back seasons by some guys, uh, and we're you know Darian Durant obviously isn't included in that, but also some veterans in the league, some of the legends in the league having great seasons this year. Ricky Ray specifically. And then that's how I kind of tie it into Darian Durant, because will we see maybe a comeback season next year from Durant? I don't know. Um, but Ricky Ray, outstanding season, MOP candidate, leads his team to the Grey Cup when we didn't think he had it in him this year. Uh, you can go on to, you know, many more guys. We talked about SJ Green there a little bit. Um, Ed Ganey, outstanding year. For the Saskatchewan Rough Riders after, you know, not the greatest year of the year before. So I think we saw some veterans in this league really step it up this year. Nick Lewis broke a record this year. I, I think that was great to see, you know, a kind of a mix of we have these young stars that are up and coming. But these old guys out there that are saying, nah, I can still get it done. Yeah. Anything else? What else do you have in the good category? Um... Diversity is strength. Yeah. And, all and I, I I thought that moniker was the best thing that could have ever happened to CFL marketing. Can I, can I take this one step higher? Yeah. I, I think the good from this year in the CFL, the job done by the commissioner and the CFL. I thought Randy Ambrosi did an excellent job this year. And he hasn't even been able to put his fingerprints on much yet. Like, yes, everyone will go and point out things that need to be fixed in the CFL. Uh, you know, video review, the challenge system, the refing system. Uh, centers kind of around a lot of it. Um, but, you know, the saying Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't go and overhaul the entire CFL in a day. I thought the CFL office... Uh, led by Randy Ambrosi, did an excellent job on some things this year to grow the game um, and, and to, you know, kind of show what the CFL stands for. I think that you mentioned that diversity is strength was a big one. I think the increased digital content, which we talked about last week on the show, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, we kind of talked about how that's been on the rise. I, I, great job for from him for in my mind and i'm looking forward to see what he does with the cfl going forward did you hear that the nfl network is looking to acquire the broadcast rates for canadian football so that they can air every game on the nfl network live wonderful that is excellent news and i hope it happens because there are people down in the states and more and most more so coming out uh, you know, kind of starting to follow the CFL game and getting into it and trying to watch it and following it. And it's great to see the CFL getting that exposure, not even just down south in the United States. There are people across the world that are CFL fans. Heck, there is a CFL podcast out of Tokyo, Japan, Mike. Wow. Part of the CFL I, podcast network. I should say, though, I should quantify my saying. One of the requirements for the NFL Network is that the CFL moves their season up a couple weeks. Which we, you know, we talked about last week, wouldn't be a terrible thing either. So, tell um, you what, I, I, I would rather sit at a playoff game in early October 
Then in early November, weather-wise. I like the nostalgia or kind of the tradition of the late November Grey Cup. But hey, you know, honestly, if I could take an earlier playoff game, and this means the CFL is growing across the world and, you know, getting exposure in, in the States, I'll take it. Because the more CFL fans, the merrier. Yeah. I really believe that the CFL should let it play in the Grey Cup. On Thanksgiving weekend on a Saturday night. Interesting. You know, you're only a couple days into the NHL season. Mm, I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that one, actually, Mike. Why not? Oh, Thanksgiving weekend. You have a lot of people having their family gatherings and Thanksgiving dinners already. You know there's going to be a lot of families where... Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me to have it uh, when people are already, you know, have other gatherings planned. I think Thanksgiving should be a time, well, yes, football and family go together. And I know football and Thanksgiving is a huge thing together down in the States. I don't personally agree with having uh, just having the Grey Cup, the huge championship game in the middle of the Thanksgiving holiday. No, it's just, just something to... A discussion point. Oh, for sure. Um, the good in the CFL, the close games we got throughout the season, I think especially early on in the season, was a great, exciting year. Uh, close games all throughout. A lot of exciting CFL football around the CFL this year. Um, in general, I thought it was a great year of football. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to see... What what Randy Ambrosi does to put his stamp on the CFL this offseason. He is well. Uh, moving into the bad, Mike, what do we have to talk about in the bad department of the CFL? Keep in mind, the ugly category is still yet to come. What's the difference? Um, well, the uh, we're not talking about the Montreal Alouettes yet. Let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the inconsistency of the PI? Yeah. I would agree with you. I think I, I don't think it's so bad, but you put it in the really bad category. Yeah, and I mean, we can let's be honest, we can kind of blend the the bad and the ugly category together, kind of the negatives of the CFL season, if you will. Yeah, and I believe that they have to figure out some kind of protocol for pass interference, and they have to figure out some kind of protocol. We're using that eye in the sky a whole heck of a lot more than they're using them now. Another uh, another thing, I'll focus on a specific team here with the bad. I think we had a team that had a lot of potential coming into this year, and we had all high expectations for them. That's the BC Lions, a very disappointing season for them. They finished 7-11 after starting 5-2 and on the year. Um, Jonathan Jennings doesn't have it the season that we expected him to do. We expect him to be an MOP quality quarterback this year. That didn't happen. So I think I, I think that's a negative. I would have loved to see the Lions live up to the potential they had. That's fine. I what else do you have? Um was that about the bad? Yeah. Our <laughs> Bryles? Yep. As uh, that was definitely a bad, but it turned into a good in the end when the right decision was made and the CFL community united together. Yeah, I, but it shouldn't take anger and outrage for you to make it a 
decision, but appears to be common sense. True. Um, another thing in the bad department, the number of devastating injuries we saw across the league this year. Yeah, and to the players that they happened to. Yeah, I mean, you hate to see it happen to any player, but uh, we, had, we had some great CFL talent go down due to injury this year. Saw Travis Lule go down. That was a hard one for the year. Uh, J.C. Sherritt missed the entire CFL season. He was a huge part of the Eskimos' uh, defensive core. Um, in part, one of them interesting to me that I don't think we talked about all season long, how different would the first eight games have gone for the Hamilton Tiger Cats if Terrence Tolliver would have been in the lineup? I'm not sure, man. Because uh, he's always been one of Zach Caleros' favorite target. I wonder how much of an impact that had, the losing him to injury. Um, obviously, there's so many guys that missed so much time this season due to injury. Um, you, you just hate to see it, and it's a natural part of the sport, unfortunately, um, but definitely a negative to see. You never want to see up-and-coming, rising players trying to make their way in the professional in professional football miss time due to injury, and we hope they all come back strong, much like S.J. Green did. Agreed. Um, what else we have in the bad department here? Oh, boy, put me on the spot. Um, let's just faint in here. I can't really faint up too much more, man. It was a rather uneventful year. I was... maybe, the, maybe the Chris Jones finds earlier in the year. No, that didn't really, he didn't really have too many this year, though, did he? He had them, a bunch of them in the offseason last year, which would mm. quantify as happening this year. But A right. uh, couple more small ones that we've kind of touched on quite a bit. Um, the attendance around the CFL, you know, BC, Toronto. I'd throw Winnipeg into that category, kind of lackluster crowds. Definitely on some game days. We talked a lot about that last week already, so I don't want to really get into that. But I would say I would throw that maybe into the bad category. Um, what else What else can I throw into here? Calgary Stampeders, maybe. Blowing it in the Grey Cup again this year. Yeah. You can throw that one into there. Although that might uh, come in one of our later categories yet. Um and then, I mean, the ugly, I would say the first half of the season for the Hamilton Tiger Cats can be thrown in there because after the Tiger Cats started at 0-8, we were questioning whether they were going to win a game this year. Now, obviously, they made that change, but that first half of the season was ugly. For what? Sorry? For the Hamilton Tiger Cats, first half of the yeah. season. Yeah, but, I mean, every team has to go through it, and they almost got out of it. Mm. I don't want to say you could see this coming for Hamilton, but they just had no camaraderie, no cohesion, no... They weren't playing well as a team in the first half of the year. Yeah, and then they uh, they picked it up down the stretch. Uh, and then the Montreal Alouettes. I, I, I think that's the most definite one to put in this category. Would you not agree? Yep. I, I, just the entire season, a 3-15 and 15 season, the decisions made by the Alouettes, I mean, we'll talk about them more when we get into kind of talking about what they need to do in the offseason, that will come in another show uh, in a couple weeks, uh, I'm not exactly sure which uh, what order we're going to be covering each team yet, still trying to kind of figure that out, but the Montreal Alouettes are a team that I think, I, I mean, and 2017 was ugly. 
there there's no sugarcoating it um when you struggle to find positives in a season for a football team that's when you know it was ugly yeah and in particularly the ownership issues or the lack of direction in montreal absolutely um do you want to start with the surprising or the not so surprising uh, we should start with a surprising. With the surprising? Kate, what was surprising about the 2017 in the CFL? The, the amount of comebacks, multiple touchdowns down late in the game. Winnipeg Blue Bombers against Montreal. Ottawa against Saskatchewan. And a few others. Yeah, and a couple of those ones. Uh the bombers, uh, the bombers had a lot of those ones. They're, in general, I would agree with you. A lot of uh, close CFL games that really came down to the wire. Just when you thought it was over, it was not uh, not over at all. Um, another one surprising. You mentioned this already. The Toronto Argonauts didn't come in coming into the year. Didn't have a coach. Didn't have a GM during free agency. Um, did. You know, a lot of questions coming into the season. They go on to win the Grey Cup. That might be the most surprising storyline of them all. Yeah. What else you got? Um, The Calgary Stampeders and how well they played defensively. And just how the team dynamic for them changed. Interesting. They got to a level defensively, Ryan, this year, but I didn't think they did yet, too. It was a really dominant defense they had this year, and I think it uh, kind of carried the load of the team. So, yeah, I agree with you. That was a bit of a surprise based on what we've seen from this team year after year coming into this season. Um, throw it in the surprising category as well. Uh, the entire Edmonton Eskimos season, the 7-0-0 start despite all of the injuries, uh, and then they lose six in the middle, and then they come back uh, insanely strong and finish off the season on a win streak before losing in the West Final. Yeah, um, just the up and downness of that, and the way that went about. You know, not the way you expect a team to have the ebbs and flows of an 18-game season go down. But just the ability of Mike Riley, the leadership, to right the ship. Do you throw the? Can you throw the Saskatchewan Rough Riders' success in the surprising category? Or did you see that coming? I saw it coming, to be honest with you, but not to the extent in which it came. Or in the way it came. Uh, I definitely throw in the surprising category. Kevin Glenn starts the season off as one of his best seasons of his career but then in the second half of the year is replaced by uh, Brandon Bridge, a Canadian quarterback, in almost a, on almost a weekly basis. Yeah, and that's a uh, very, very interesting... Uh, it's a very, very interesting dynamic. And that's what makes the CFL so uniquely Canadian. Absolutely. Um, what else you got in the surprising category? Um, Just the ability to have found a Canadian commissioner who understands the game. Hmm. Because I didn't think they were going to find one. Interesting. I like that. I like that one. I thought they would have gone to the business side of it. 
Yeah, and, that, you know, and that's kind of what they did with uh, former Commissioner Jeffrey Orridge, right? Is he was uh, he was known for his role in media, um, and so he I think he put some a couple initiatives forward for that that were great. But uh, Ambrosi, from the football standpoint, I think has done a lot of good thing, things this year. For sure. Um, Hamilton Tiger Cats start the season 0-8. I think that was surprising, and even more so, you know, they make the change, and all of a sudden, everything changes for them. Uh, throw that in there. The Tiger Cats this year were a surprise to me, because I expected them to be good. That's fair. Uh, anything else in the surprising before we move on to the not-so-surprising? Not really. Uh, what was not-so-surprising this year? Calgary's domination. Regular season domination. Uh, I was going to throw, you know, blowing it in the Grey Cup has been a thing that Calgary's been known for, and I try to dispel every single year and say, no, it has to end this year as we continuously bring it up. And unfortunately, in 2018, all season long, when the St. Peters go on like a 12-game win streak, we're going to have to keep talking about, yeah, but what happens when they get to the playoffs? Yeah, and just... I'm tired of talking about that every year, Mike. I know, man. And I, I, I said it would happen, and you kept saying, well, this is the year, it can happen again. Oh, it just, I, I want a different narrative to talk about with the Calgary Stampeders one year, because we've been doing this podcast for four years, and granted, I think the first year we started doing it, or the second year, because in 2014 they won the Grey Cup, but I feel like every single year it's just been, oh, look, they won another game, they won another game, they won another game. Oh, hey, look, playoffs, okay, goodbye. Yeah, it's a it's a very, uh, very interesting situation. Uh, what else in the not-so-surprising? Um, in the not-so-surprising, Edmonton, I thought they've been consistent the last couple years, ever since they've won the Grey Cup. They're always there every single year, it seems, and Mike Riley gives them a chance. Yeah, not so surprising. I'd throw Mike Riley winning MOP in there. Um, he's been a guy that's consistent. Uh, he plays great football and is out is out, outstanding, and that's why he was most outstanding player. Um, not so surprising. I'd throw the Ottawa Red Blacks not making it to the Grey Cup again this year. Um, just because, I mean, that was an incredible start to the season, or that was an incredible start to their history as a franchise. Um, but I'm, that would have been incredible three times in four years. Yeah. I mean, the CFL is starting to kind of get very interesting from a standpoint that, you know, the, the Eastern teams can kind of move along and have up-and-down seasons and sub-500 seasons and get rewarded with playing in the Grey Cup. And when they're in the Grey Cup, they seem to have this game nobody sees coming from them. And they get rewarded for an 8-9-1 and and a 9-9 in the last two years with two Grey Cup championships. Uh, not so surprising. The uh, Mike, this is your shining moment here. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is something I will ne- I'd never let you talk about all season long, but you finally get your chance, and I'll give you your soapbox to stand on here. 
um, the West Division uh, regular season dominating the Eastern Division was not so surprising because it happens every year. <laughs> Go, Mike. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say, man. It's... Oh, come on. I get, uh, you, you talk about it every week, and now you don't, I give you a chance, and you don't know what to say. Well, it's like, it's just basically the same thing over and over again, right? There's this, this power balance that seems to exist, and the teams that seem to, especially in the West, right? I mean, just goes to show how big of football games uh, those West versus West games are. And if you look at BC, they didn't do too well against you know, teams in the West, and that's why, you know, their record was what it is. And on the flip side, Calgary finished first in the division, but they had success against Western teams. Bombers were mediocre against the West, trying against the East. However, they were good enough to host their home playoff game. So the emphasis of divisional games in the CFL has never been bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm... And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't really have anything else under the not-so-surprising. Do you have anything else? Not really. Um, so a couple, just take a couple final minutes here. Um, how else do you want to review or wrap up the CFL season? What else do you have to kind of, a couple minutes to end it off here? You know, it's a very interesting dynamic, and we say this every offseason about it was a great year. But how do we talk about moving the lead forward? As a lead office, as teams, as players, as fans, and as people that are deeply associated with the Canadian Football League in one way or another. But let's just see and continue to support Canada's game because we're at a real interesting turning point in CFL history. We have a new commissioner who's a Canadian who's played the game, been a Western Canadian boy, born in Winnipeg, played for the Stampeders, played for a couple other teams. I'm wondering what happens in the league as a whole. Uh, commissioner Ambrosi had a good first year. I want to see if he gravitates toward the players in the next CBA or if he sticks by his bosses. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. Uh, very interesting. I think you uh, you, you summed, them, summed that up great. Um, maybe we can end this off kind of highlights of the CFL season. Uh, what was your, what were your favorite, what was one of your favorite parts or a couple of your favorite things from this CFL season that you really enjoyed to see? For me, just the close games and the way the fans have embraced, uh, just the way the fans have embraced the game and the changes. I think uh, I think we got some uh, uh, here in Winnipeg. We got some great Bombers football this year. I mean, talk about that game against the Montreal Alouettes earlier this year, where the Bombers minute thirty-five left, come back from thirteen points down or twelve points down. Sorry and go on and win by a single point. I was at the stadium for that game. That may have been one of the uh, CFL highlights, uh, best games I've ever seen, best finishes I've ever seen live. 
uh, chalk that, put that one in that category. Absolutely. Yep. Um, I think we had a very great Grey Cup to end it all off. A very Canadiana Grey Cup. Very true. Uh, a lot of close games. A lot of ridiculous highlight reel plays this year, too. 2017 really was the year of the catch. If you had to pick a best one, Mike, which one, uh, what would you pick? For a highlight? For a highlight of 2017, yeah. The Bombers come back against Montreal, but I think that really jump-started the Bombers' season. Yeah, I would agree with you. And arguably, you know, sent Montreal's downhill. Andrew Harris, great year. Honestly, what he can do for an encore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see what the Bombers as a whole are going to do for an encore. I want to see what the CFL is going to do it for an encore because 2017 was so great. And 2018 can only top that because the CFL continues to get better. Uh, teams will be looking to get a lot better over the next uh, several months as uh, you know they lock up their own guys. They make decisions on their own players before we move into free agency and talk about uh, all the moving pieces, who to bring in, and uh, what's uh, what's going to come to help these teams as they try to pursue the 2018 Grey Cup and uh, snatch it from the hands of the Toronto Argonauts. Yeah. For, for me here, Ryan, the CFO is also at a crossroads. There seems to be no reward for regular season success as the divisions are currently constructed. Hey, there it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just saying, there it is. Your, 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 division, your division speech. <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting for it for over an hour, and now it comes. There we go. Do you want to elaborate on that for me? <laughs> I, I just think it's nonsense that Toronto got to host an East Final when Winnipeg had a better record than them and at least deserved a better shot to host the East Final. Yeah. But you don't need to redo the one-division format. You don't need to move to the one-division format. You have the clause if the four-place team in the other division is more superior or less superior, pardon me, depending on which way you look at it. I'm going west to east, so if the fourth-place team in the west has more points than the third-place team in the east, then they cross over. Right. Why doesn't the same thing apply higher up in the standings? That's interesting. If the second-place team in the west has more points than the first-place team in the east, crossover. Well, then, I mean, you're almost getting into a one-division format, basically, at that point. It's an absolute joke, Ryan, and I think you can agree with me on this. When a 9-9 and team finishes first in the East at one game at home to go to the Grey Cup, and two 12-6 teams are sledding it out on a football field in the division semi-final. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm, I'm not, like... I'm not trying to crap on the CFL or anything, but it is very frustrating when... Arguably, a division final is played in the semifinal. And granted, I'm not saying this because the Bombers lost. And that I have sour grapes that the Eskimos won. They deserve to win that game. They won at fair and square. What Edmonton saying 
we're 12 and 6 and we have to go on the road to play another 12 and 16. Right. Like, that is the problem. And then Calgary, Calgary's sitting there at 14 and 4, whatever the heck they were. One game into the Grey Cup while two 12 and 6 teams played ahead of a game for the right to go meet a four loss team in the Stampeders. And he did a Western team but had a much had a worse record, not a much worse record, but a worse record literally come a few seconds away from winning the East Division. And this is the wonderful thing about the offseason, Mike. It's because it's that we can have these conversations now after seeing how everything played out. Uh, and we got time to kill until CFL football starts in June, and it's plenty of time to have these conversations. And I agree with a lot of what you said there. I'm interested to see if changes are ever made to that. Uh, I'm not convinced they will be, uh, just because good luck convincing almost half of the league, uh, you know, to go and uh, agree to something that doesn't benefit them. Well, then here, why don't the Bombers apply to draw out east? I mean, they could. I'm not if exactly sure how that whole process works, but... If they're not fed up about it, they can apply to change divisions. Really? Yep. Huh. I'll learn something new today. Why, why, why wouldn't they be able to? Well, I don't know. I just didn't know how that worked. Because the Bombers are bordering east-west, right? Yeah. Not to say that the Bombers would think, ah, we have the better team, so we're going to do this. The door was open when the Red Blacks came. The Bombers had the option of staying in the east or the west, and they chose to go west. Well, and I think uh, they wouldn't move out to the east anyways because we'll be getting a 10th team before we know it in the CFL with the team yeah. out in the Atlantic, yeah. which would balance things out. So, Would it balance things out that much? Well, I mean, in terms of five teams per division is what I meant. But did that, did that change the power of the lead? Oh, no. I, I still think you need to go one division. I, 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 I have similar thoughts, Mike. I have similar thoughts. Um, anything else? Or, uh, or Ryan, here, here's the thing for you to consider. You can answer this now or you can answer this next week. Okay. How, how do you fix it if you don't go one division? You do what I said, second place in the West has more points than first place in the East. But the problem with the entire West had more points than basically the top two teams. I think the BC Lions were right on par, if not even with Toronto as far as points. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how else you do that part of you. You know, wants to say, okay, we'll keep the divisions, but then when it comes to playoff seeding, um, you know, don't really take that into account, kind of the best six teams in the order, but then what's the point in having two divisions in that case? I don't know, Mike. I, I, I really don't know. Well, here's an interesting prospect for when a 10th team comes in, and let's not kid ourselves, it's coming. Move to a 16-game season. No, that means, no, no, no. And everybody sees each other twice. Yeah, but that means less football, Mike. No, it's still 18 games. You just said a 16-game season. What? Did I forgot to count the 10th team? Ah, okay. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I'll agree with you. We're good. 
So basically, see each other twice. It makes the it makes the bomber rider game that much more meaningful because you only see them twice. And if you're trying to chase somebody for a playoff spot, well, those head-to-head just means a whole heck of a lot more. I agree with you. That about wraps it up. That pretty much wraps it up for today. I think we've done a pretty decent job of reviewing the 2017 CFL season. Uh, it was a great season overall. It had some bad, had some ugly, had some surprising, not so surprising, but a lot of good uh, to it. And I think there's going to be a lot of good to come and interesting stuff to come throughout the off season as teams, you know, start preparing for next year. Uh, teams like Toronto trying to build off of a Grey Cup win or Winnipeg trying to build off a strong season and teams, uh, you know, like Hamilton or Montreal trying to, or BC trying to, get back to where they used to be. Uh, I, I think for we're in, we're going to see a lot of movement throughout the off season. I'm excited to talk about it all. Um, final, final question for you. Yeah. Who had the most... No, this might be answering my own question, given the fact that you're probably going to say Montreal. But who has the most to lose this off season? The most to lose... Well, actually, no, I'm going to go different from what you said, because I, at this point, I don't know if the Alouettes have anything to lose, Mike. <laughs> okay. Um, who has the most to lose? That's a tough one. I would maybe say the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, in terms of I think they need to make a decision at that quarterback position. And uh, I, I think it needs to be Brandon Bridge next year at quarterback for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as the starter. Um, and uh, we'll remain to we'll remain to see what happens. Do they go with Kevin Gwen? Do they go with Brandon Bridge? Yeah, I agree. I would say Saskatchewan. I, I Calgary. I think Calgary definitely is probably the better answer to your question because we talked about this last week. Do they blow it up in Calgary or do they just keep staying the course? And I think they have the most to lose potentially here because they still have a good thing, although they can't get it done in the championship. Calgary has a good thing going um, throughout the regular season, and you know, doing too much to try to win that Grey Cup could risk some of that regular season success. And I'll throw Toronto in there as well. Toronto has the most to lose because just because Ricky Ray had an outstanding year this year and stayed healthy. Not sure that well. You can't guarantee that will be the case next year. They need to have a backup plan at quarterback for him. Yeah, I agree, and I believe the Bombers need a backup plan behind Matt Nichols. I would agree with you there as well, Mike. That wraps it up for today. We're going to uh, over the coming weeks kind of take more of a look into a team by team basis of uh, what happened in 2017, what needs to change, what changes we expect to see. Uh, throughout the next several months and uh, to prepare for 2018. Uh, so look forward to that. More shows coming out basically every week. We might take a week off for Christmas. Uh, we record on Mondays. Christmas is a Monday. I think we'd rather uh, do other things than uh, talk football uh, yeah. on Christmas Day, as much as I love talking football with you and with all of you. But uh, look forward to more CFL content on the way as we take a team-by-team -team look through the off season. Um, starting next week. Sounds great. All right, that wraps it up for today. Uh, this has been the Canadian Football Countdown. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop. Have a wonderful week, everyone. 
uh, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.